You know, one of the best things about humanity is our never-ending ability to come up with excuses. I mean, if there's just something we don't want to do, we'll find a reason. You know, we'll make up an excuse if there's something that we don't really want to do. I heard about one student who said she couldn't take her final exam because her cat was sneezing. There's a grocery store cashier who called in sick with a fever of 112 degrees. I'll tell you, if I ever have a fever of 112, I'm probably not showing up that day or for a while afterwards, I guess. But one high school student told his teacher, sorry, I didn't do my homework because I don't have internet. He sent that excuse in by email. A teenager told his parents he couldn't do the dishes because he was allergic to hot water. One student told his teacher, I lost my homework. She said, why? He said, I got in a fight with someone who said, you weren't the best teacher ever. I like that one. Then there's one employee who didn't show up for work. His boss called him and said, why aren't you here? He said, I forgot I got the job. You know, some excuses are just completely fake. They're completely made up. But others, there's a measure of truth to them. But all excuses are excuses when you get down to the end of it, you know. The difference between an excuse and a reason is your motive. If it's legitimate, it's a reason. But if you just don't want to do something, it's, it's an excuse. You know, if you just can't be honest or you're just being selfish, it's not a reason, it's an excuse. And making up excuses is nothing new. Moses did it about 3,500 years ago, and uh, he was pretty good at it. You see, God had an assignment for Moses, but Moses had excuses for God. And we're going to look at this interaction between God and Moses in just a minute in Exodus chapter 3. But first, I want to tell you why. I want, I want to explain something uh, about this uh, series that we've been in. As a church... It is our responsibility, it's our mission, to make disciples of people. Jesus told us that in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, all the peoples. And disciple-making is the process by which we bring someone from unbelief to the point where they eventually become disciple-makers themselves. They bring other people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's that entire process of disciple-making. So in other words, as a church, we are to have a plan of action in place whereby we introduce people to Jesus and we get them plugged into God's family and we help them bring their friends to Jesus and we nurture them in their faith. We help them grow in their faith. And we want people to get to know God. We want people to grow in their faith. We want people to get to the point where they actively serve God but I believe we need a cohesive system as a church to carry this out. And so I think that for our church, the best way for us, given our structure, our weekly activities, that type of thing, is to help people who are new to the church and help people that are new to the Lord Jesus Christ, or maybe just checking out the idea of having faith in Jesus Christ. And we bring them through a four-step process that we'll complete on Sunday mornings, and I'll call that our growth track. And see, what we'll do is on four consecutive Sunday mornings at 9.15 during Sunday school, I'll lead newcomers to our church and newcomers to the Lord Jesus Christ through the following four steps. On the first Sunday, 
will be step one, and it's beginning your journey. And so newcomers will be invited to explore who we are as a church, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they'll be invited to begin their journey with us. Step two will be the second Sunday, where they'll will be invited to grow in their faith, and we'll teach them the essentials of what it really means to follow Christ and to uh, get plugged into God's family. So a part of growing in your faith includes being plugged into small groups of people because God did not design us to grow in our faith alone, but he's created a family for us to be a part of. The third step would be where we help people discover their design. This will be the third Sunday of the month. And so newcomers will discover how God has combined their character and their heart and their abilities and their resources and their insights and their spiritual endowments. He's, God's combined all of that to make them unique. And then on the fourth Sunday, we'll invite them to join what I'm going to call the dream team. Now, what's the dream team? Well, the, the dream team is what we're going to call our volunteers. You see, in, in every church, there are two types of people. There are observers and there are servers. And so some people actively serve and other people just sort of observe what's going on. And we want as many people as possible to step up to the plate and become servers. And when someone says yes to God, I want to serve in the way that God has designed me, then they'll become a part of our dream team and they'll be able to serve in any capacity that God leads them to. And so you might be thinking, if you've sort of been following along this current sermon series, that it sounds like the sermon series that I've been preaching this month, and you'd be right. Because this month we've been walking through this growth track, except, or albeit, in a sermon format. And so three weeks ago was step one, and so I wanted to introduce uh, you to the Lord Jesus Christ and help you discover the idea, the possibility of beginning your spiritual journey with uh, step two, we talked about doing those essential things uh, like Bible study, like prayer, like serving, like being with other people. Those essential things that help you grow in your faith. Last week was step three, discover your design. We talked about how God has made each one of us. He's given each one of us certain, uh, a certain type of character and a heart, a passion for things. God has given us abilities and resources and insights and spiritual endowments and all of that is wrapped up into one masterpiece that is you and it gives us a pointer it gives us an idea how you can best serve God and so today is my goal is to help you encourage you to join the dream team I want you to say yes to serving God because God has designed you in a certain way and God wants you to serve him in the way that he's designed you and so the question that I have for you today is this, are you going to say yes to serving God, or are you just going to make excuses? And so, take your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3. Normally, uh, when we find the place in the Bible where I'll be preaching from, we would stand together and we'd read it, but it's a rather long passage, and so we're not going to do that. Since it's a narrative, I'm going to walk you through this narrative of God's interaction with Moses, how Moses gave God excuses, but God was pretty uh, insistent that Moses carry out the assignment that he had for him. And so here's the situation. In, Moses, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is tending his father's sheep, his father-in-law's sheep, um, when he noticed 
that up on this mountain there was a bush that was on fire. And that might not be too unusual, probably a little bit unusual, probably some lightning hit it or something like that. But this bush never burnt up. It just kept on burning and burning and burning. And Moses said in his curiosity, I've got to go check this out. And so he turned aside to check it out. And then God started speaking to Moses through this burning bush. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, here's what the Lord said. The Lord said to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. So far, so good. Moses is saying, go God, you do it. This is going to be great. God's going to set his people free. That's wonderful. And then God dropped the hammer in verse 10. God said to Moses, therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Me? Me? I'm sure you know this, God, but, you know, since you sort of know everything, but I'm not necessarily the most welcome man back in Egypt. You see, I, I, know, I know God. I, I grew up in Pharaoh's house, but I'm not really part of Pharaoh's family, and, and I was sort of always an outsider. In fact, I'm part of this group that's actually enslaved by Pharaoh. Those are my roots, and... and, and Okay, God, besides that, I'll just confess it to you. I killed a guy in Egypt. And see, God, that's why I'm not in Egypt. That's why I'm away from Egypt. And so, God, I'm, I'm sure you have someone else for the job, right? I can't go back to Egypt. I'm persona non grata. I know Latin hasn't been invented yet, but I am not... Welcome, I am persona non grata. I should not go back. Excuse number one is, who am I to serve the Lord? Moses said it this way in verse 11. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? God, you've got the wrong person for the job. Have you ever said that to him? Oh no, not me, God. You've got the wrong person for the, God, for the job. Lord, I think, I think you've made a mistake here. I know, I know. You've never made a mistake in the history of everything, but I think this has to be a mistake. You can't mean me. I mean, I've got a very common face. Maybe you're thinking of Brad Pitt. 
Maybe you're thinking of George Clooney and he got me confused or something like that. But, you know, no problem though, God. We'll just keep this between us. I won't tell anybody. You know, and so this really never happened now. So go ahead, God. Go find that person that you really, really wanted to serve you. Um, why are you still here, God? Why, you, you really think it's me? Look, God, I'm trying to give you an out here, okay? I said, work with me here. You know, you don't want me. Y'all just mess things up. Who am I to do your work, God? You know, when we use the excuse, who am I, God? What we're doing is we're expressing our inadequacies. But God says it doesn't really matter how inadequate you feel, I'll be with you. Look at verse 12. And God said, certainly I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Do you realize how significant it is that God is with you when you serve him? Do you understand exactly who is saying, I will be with you? Let me give you an idea who God really is, because in verse 13, Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? This is who God is. Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has, been, what has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite to a land flowing with milk and honey. They will pay heed to what you say. And you with the elders of Israel will come to the king of Egypt and you will say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. So now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters. Thus you will plunder the Egyptians. You know, I would like to think 
that if God said all of that to me, and God for the first time in human history revealed his name, and he did that to me, and gave me that speech, I would like to think that that would be enough, and that I would not make any more excuses, and that I would obey. However, I remember just how adept we are as humans at making excuses, and Moses was in that camp. Moses was not convinced. He had more excuses at his disposal. Excuse number two, what if? What if? That's one of our favorites, isn't it? And getting out of an assignment that God has for us. What if? Moses said in verse four, chapter 4, verse 1, What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. You know, this is the fear of failure. Okay, God. Okay. Let's just suppose, can I play devil's advocate with you, God? Is that allowed? Let's just suppose that I say yes to you, God. Okay? Let's just suppose that I say yes. Let's suppose that I take this assignment, and then I say to everyone around, Hey, everybody, follow me. Look at me. I'm serving God. I'm doing everything that God wants me to do. God, you know exactly what's going to happen. You know that no one is going to follow me. No one is going to believe me. You're just setting me up to fail, aren't you, God? I mean, you're just setting me up to fail. This is going to be one big flop. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing to you the world's biggest flop. He tried to obey God, but he failed. I'm going to be the star of fail videos on YouTube, aren't I, God? They're going to put my picture next to the word loser in the dictionary, aren't they, God? I can't succeed what if I fail? So I'm not going to do it, God. I'm just not going to do it. Because I can't fail if I don't try. And so I'm just not going to try. And therefore, I can't fail. That makes sense. Isn't that good logic to you, God? God responds to our fear of failure with this message. I will do things through you that you cannot do. And so what happened next was that God had Moses throw his, serpent, or his, uh, his staff, his shepherd's staff, on the ground, and it became a serpent. And then God had Moses pick it up by the tail, and it became a staff again. Excuse number one, who am I to serve God? God says, the great I am is with you. Excuse number two, what if I fail? God says, I will accomplish what you cannot. But you know, I've noticed that when people are resistant to serving God, they have a tendency to keep on resisting. It's like one of uh, Sir Isaac Newton's laws. Inertia just keeps on going. And some people are, are just very, very convinced that they must resist God. Children of God. People that have been saved. People that owe their entire eternity to God. You ask them to lift a finger, oh, I just can't. I just won't. And so they sit on the sidelines forever and ever. 
refusing to obey the Lord. And they come up with excuse number three. I don't have the ability. I'm not able. Look at chapter 4, verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. This is the I'm too inadequate excuse. I mean, God, come on, let's think about this. A leader has to speak, and I'm not a good speaker. You don't want me. I'll mess things up. I'll get tongue-tied. You know, it's just not, a, I'm not a good leader. I'm just, you can't mean me, right? I'm too inadequate. Verse 11, the Lord responds, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? At this point, the Lord was becoming offended, if you will, by Moses. Because every time that you and I, like Moses, say, I don't have the ability, I'm too inadequate, we're blaming God for making us that way. Moses said to God, I'm slow of speech. God replied, who made you that way? I did. Who makes the deaf and the mute, the seeing or the blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Every time that you think you don't have the ability to serve God in the manner in which he designed you, you are essentially blaming God. Because God knows your inadequacies. He created you, remember? And so if God is giving you a task, he knows your inadequacies, and then the only logically logical logical conclusion that we can come to is that in God's opinion the task that he's given you is either not beyond your capabilities and you're underestimating yourself or God will find a way for your inadequacies not to interfere with the successful completion of your task who am I to serve God God says I'll be with you What if I fail? God says, I'll do things that you cannot do. What if I'm inadequate? God says, I'll give you every ability that you need to serve me. You see, here's the truth of the matter at Broadview Baptist Church. God wants you to serve him. He wants you to serve him. He wants you to be on the dream team. Now, why why am I calling this the dream team? I'll tell you why. Because when God's people say yes to God and they serve Him in the way that He designed them, people's dreams come true. When children's workers teach kids about Jesus, their dreams about being loved with the perfect love comes true. When youth workers minister in God's name to teenagers, their dreams about having a father who accepts them comes true. When Bible study leaders teach God's Word to seekers, then their dreams about having life's questions answered comes true. When greeters welcome guests to our fellowship, then their dreams about meeting nice people in this mean old world comes true. 
when musicians use their talents to lead people to want to encounter, who want to encounter God, then their dreams about experiencing God's presence comes true. When outreach participants take the time to meet and invite to church people who are our neighbors, then their dreams about finding family and friends that aren't highly dysfunctional comes true. When Christians in our community give a cup of water in the name of the Lord to someone who is thirsty, then their dreams about finding someone who cares comes true. When Christian personnel in the workforce avail themselves to prayer and counsel to their co-workers, then their dreams about finding help for their daily lives comes true. And I'll tell you something, when you stop making excuses and you start saying yes to serving God, then your dream about making an eternal difference in someone's life and gaining rewards in heaven comes true. Maybe today you're ready to say yes to God, but you'd say, I, I, I really don't know where to begin. I don't know where to serve. What do you do? Well, listen, the old way of answering this question was to see what positions in the church were left unfilled, and maybe we can squeeze that round peg into a square hole or something like that and fill one of those positions. But that is so limiting. That is so unimaginative. That is so uncreative. It's like trying to paint the Mona Lisa with a box of eight crayons. The old way hardly takes into account the incredible masterpiece that is your character and your heart and your abilities and your resources and your insights and your spiritual endowments. Here's a better way. Here's a better way. You figure it out. Answer these questions. Who are you? Know thyself. Who are you? What are you passionate about? What can you do? What abilities do you have? What resources do you have? What do you have that you can use? What have you learned in life that you can share with others? How are you being led by the Spirit of God? You answer these questions and it'll become abundantly clear how God wants you to serve. And so instead of squick, uh, sticking a square peg in a round hole, let's fulfill your dream for ministry and let's formulate your ministry around who you really are. One of the most incredible things in all of Scripture is when God asks questions. God asks questions every now and then. And it's amazing to me because we know that God knows everything. And yet He asks us questions. And the very first question that God ever asked Moses was in chapter 4, verse 2. What is that in your hand? What is that in your hand? You know what it was? It was a shepherd's staff. It was a long stick, a piece of wood with a, a crook at the end. You know, God can do a lot with whatever is in your hand if you give it to him. You see, later in that chapter, when Moses was all out of excuses... And when he was finally convinced by God to go back to Egypt, and he packed up everything, he started his journey back to Egypt, the Bible makes this simple comment. He took the staff of God in his hand. It was no longer the staff of Moses. It was no longer 
the staff of a shepherd. It was the staff of God. And what could God do with that stick? Pharaoh's serpents were eaten by the staff of God. The Nile River turned to blood by the staff of God. The plague of frogs occurred by the staff of God. The plague of gnats or lice occurred by the staff of God. The plague of thunder and hail and fire occurred by the staff of God. The plague of locusts occurred by the staff of God. The sea was divided by the staff of God. The Amalekites were defeated by the staff of God. You see, God took a stick and he set his people free. God can do a lot with a stick. And so every time you say, I can't, God says to you, but I can So my question is, what is in your hand? And are you willing to put it in the hand of God? When a trailer becomes the trailer of God, it can become a platform for the gospel. When a barbecue grill can become the grill of God, he can use it to make food that will break down resistance to his love. When a car becomes the car of God, he can use it to transport people to a place for healing. When a cell phone becomes the cell phone of God, he can use it to bless many thousands of people. And when a man becomes the man of God, he can use that man to change someone's world. Today, I'm asking you to consider the possibility that God may want to use you in your own unique, special way to change someone's world. God has designed you for this. Don't keep your giftedness on the shelf. You are a light in a dark, dark world. Don't hide your light. It is time to shine. If today you're ready to say yes to God, this altar will be open. If today you're ready to say yes to God and you want to speak with me further, I'll be standing at the front during our song of response. I'll be hanging around our service after the service has concluded. And if you want to contact me so that we can talk later and in more depth, you can text the word SERVED to 806-375-4240. Are you ready today to say yes to God?